0: chapter 14. We finally made it to Romans 14. And we won't get much done in 14 today, sorry. I said that we were going to do a study uh, leading up to this because Paul isn't going to call the church to figure out all the All the odd things about all of us and how we think, how we act, from our personalities to our our interests, our choices. We're a people called to follow Jesus Christ, but that doesn't mean we lose our distinctiveness of who we are, our individuality. But when you bring a church together, one of the things you have to do is figure out how to harmonize church together. And that's a tough thing. So we, uh, we obviously have our doctrines in order. We have uh, that as an unchangeable thing, and we have established those things. That helps identify who Alpine Bible Church is. <clears throat> we have uh, kind of how we flesh that out. In Acts uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 42 through on, we, uh, we have that idea that the, uh, uh, the believers met in the homes, and uh, they believed in the apostles' doctrine, and it says, and fellowship. that word fellowship, I I believe, has to do with how we establish fleshing out what we believe, how we process what we believe together. And we do that here. And then obviously, uh, uh, the early church was involved in prayers. Prayer is a very important structure of our church. It's one of the pillars of our church that we stand on. And uh, we uh, obviously hope that also, just the uh, In homes together, fellowship is something that's important to us through our life groups and so on. But we still have these unique things that, as Paul uh, is preparing us. So in chapter twelve, we talked about how we need to every day become living sacrifices to Jesus Christ. It's verse one in chapter twelve. That has to be a priority for us. We called them uh, precepts that are those things which characterize true believers. And we listed all the precepts through chapter 12 and chapter 13. Those things must be in order for us to actually uh, allow what he's going to say in chapter 14 to be effective. <clears throat> you can't ask people to uh, to harmonize all their, unique, uh, their uniqueness and their differences and maintain unity unless you have the precepts of what it means to be a believer in Christ in place. So we spent time going through all those. If you weren't here I'm sorry we can't... Uh, take time for that again today, but I want to get into this text, and obviously we're just going to deal with verse uh, one through four today. <clears throat> but uh, in doing that, this is mostly an uh, introduction to what he's going to talk about. So let me read first uh, verses one through four. <clears throat> he says, "Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things." Again, we're not talking about doctrine. we're not talking about. How we implement doctrine necessarily here. We're talking about other things that we bring in the baggage of our life and the likes and dislikes that we all have. He says, for one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Christ's followers then have to learn how to harmonize harmonize themselves with fellow believers. And I think this is a very unique thing. It's something that Christ asks us to do. And because it should be seen as people look in at us, it should be sort of uh, seen as a mystery to the world around us as people see our, our unity and in our oneness in Christ. And, and that should be something that's attractive to people. Today, again, so many churches are uh, involved in their own uh, personal uh, interdisciplinary crises. You have people that are just not getting along. They're, they're struggling. They're, they're uh, tr- uh, creating turf wars, taking sides over issues. All of this then splits the church, becomes a very unattractive thing. And as people look at the church, and if they see that going on, they're not going to want to have anything to do with it. And in fact, they're going to say, wait a minute, I thought these people were different. And uh, no, they're not different. They're just like the rest of the world. They all have their own opinions and their own uh, uh, path, and it's very divisive. And that's exactly the opposite of how Christ wants us to be. And I'm doing this series because I'm concerned sometimes those small things are what becomes the destructive things in our life. We, we don't have anyone here who's ever come into my office and said, I can't stand our doctrines. I have not had anybody do that since I've been here. But I have had people come in and say, I don't like how we do church, or I don't like the music we sing, or I don't like this or that. And it almost steps into that realm of personal opinions and so on. And uh, to maintain unity, we have to understand that that's our main chief goal. But we live in a world that uh, is very different. <clears throat> Hollywood just came out with a series, and oh, in the last few years... Uh, Fifty Shades of gray I'm sure you've heard the title, seen the ads. <clears throat> then they came out uh, with another uh, uh, film after that, Fifty Shades Darker. And if that wasn't enough for people to feed on, they came out with Fifty Shades Freed. And it's, it's the world's way of reminding us that uh, they're going to play with moral boundaries because they don't care about moral boundaries, But what I am concerned about today is that many followers of Jesus, I think, are playing this game of how far can I go since I'm free in grace thing. And because of that, there's this, along with that idea, some who take that stand have an accompanying sort of condescending view of other believers who aren't quite so free in their faith. And then there's the other side that has another view which looks at those who are free in their faith, who seem to be more liberal in their faith, and they would see them as worldly and perhaps not even saved. And so you have these polar opposite views that come into the church. And it's a a tough thing for us to process through this. Uh, Paul begins this text by saying, Receive one who is weak in the faith. Uh, but not to disputes over doubtful things. So we have to be very careful as we don't put our focus on things that are so absolutely not important that we use those as divisive elements. Uh, You know, I I can tell you, if somebody comes in our church uh, because if somebody were to, this is absolutely not going to happen, but if somebody came in our church and said, uh, I want to come into your church because I perceive that the pastors are really hip and cool. (laughs) Well, that ain't going to happen. <clears throat> we have two younger guys here on staff, and, uh, you know, Dave is the cute one. Uh, <clears throat> puppies are cute. And, uh, you know, Nicholas and I are just different. We're, we're, we're actually very different in our own personalities and so on. So you, you get some variety, but I'm pretty much the blah one, you know? And so... Uh, <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> Keep me humble. I'm trying to be that anyway, so uh, there you go. I had a person who called me years ago. Well, I wasn't in this church, but years ago, I had a person call me, uh, uh, a fellow he called, and conversation. Uh, we're looking for a church. Um, uh, and I, so I, I tried to engage in conversation. He didn't really want to talk to me about anything except his daughter. And he just wanted me to know that my daughter is really, really good at drama. And we're looking for a church where she can do drama. I said, well, there's a lot more to church than just that. I said, we do some things like that, but not not every week. That's not our focus. But uh, I I tried to talk to him about church, and he said, didn't want to have anything to do with it. I just want a daughter who can do drama, period. I got a little miffed in the conversation. He said, well, sir, you know what? That's really not why most of us find a church. I mean, that's that's great. You know, she could probably join the uh, drama team down in downtown Toronto and get involved in... No, I want a church that she, where she's going to do that, and uh, I guess that's not you, clunk. I thought, wow. I mean, that's, that's pretty sad, but that's somebody with their own little pet peeve about what they want out of church. They want nothing for themselves. They just want their daughter to be happy. That's not a reason to, to come to church here. I do want you to be happy, but that's not the reason to come. That's not why we're here, but we are certainly here, hopefully, to put Jesus Christ as our focus. Uh, we raise Him, lift Him up, and as He works in our lives, we all find paths in where we can serve Him, but it's all about Him, right? That's what we're here for. Let me talk about what doubtful things might be. I'm going to give you a definition of doubtful things. And uh, you don't have much space in your bulletin, but try to write small. Uh, let me just give this idea what it means to be doubtful. Anything that is not clearly spelled out or defined as prohibited in Scripture. Anything that is not clearly spelled out or defined as prohibited in Scripture, whether stated by exact word or in principle, taking in the whole Word of God. In other words, you can't pick and choose I'll take one verse out of the Old Testament and build uh, what I like and don't like about this or that, or I'll jump to the New Testament and make my choices about what I like or don't like, and uh, without leaving the whole counsel of God to do that. That's very important for us. And uh, obviously uh, there's all kinds of issues we could raise. Uh, Let me give you some examples, and these may not be anything that you're concerned about, but just as an example, even in our text he's talking about food, uh, which, uh, you know, again... uh, One may eat all things. So he's talking about food there, and we have a reason for that. We'll come back to that. But uh, let's just stretch this out. Uh, The use of, perhaps, instruments in worship. Drums, uh, electric keyboard, guitars. Uh, Some people are uh, all into dance in our worship. Uh, When James and I were in Sri Lanka, uh, we took that in as they dance in their worship in the regional churches. When you get down to the city, they are much more conservative. They've got more westernized, and so they uh, don't do much of that uh, near as much as they do out in the regional areas, but dancing in their worship. Uh, Eating certain foods is an issue uh, in the Word of God. If you go to Leviticus chapter 11, you don't need to turn, just to write the reference down. In in Leviticus 11, for instance, we're told that uh, you cannot eat shellfish, octopus, or squid. If you're going to Red Lobster today, You're already in trouble. I think clams fall into that category. So, you know, you clam people, just clam it up. You're not going to have that, according to Leviticus 11. Uh, If it doesn't have fins or scales, it's out of bounds. That's what it says in that text. How about pork? Oh, uh, we have some pork farmers in our county. How about camel? Uh, Camel uh, steaks are, are pretty good. I don't know if you've ever tried one, but... They're not bad. You know, camel steak would be good. Uh, owls. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had a dressed owl to eat, but uh, they're off limits according to Leviticus 11. Now, if that's your only text and you live by that, I guess that's okay. But then Paul writes in First Timothy chapter 4, verse 4, for every creature of God is good. And nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So guess what? I guess that you can go ahead and eat your lobster today. You can have your clams, or you can have your, your uh, you know, possum belly, whatever it is you'd like to have, uh, as your lunch today. And I guess that's okay if you uh, bless it and it's sanctified by prayer and so on. Make sure you pray before you eat, or you'll gag on whatever it is you eat that you're, if you're violating the law. Okay? In every situation, in every culture, there's going to be a certain line of freedom to do something or restriction to not do something. And we are called to not judge either side for their conviction and their practice. I want to add a bit of an addendum to that, though. Within any particular church, for instance ours, past and present beliefs and practices must be considered... Uh, as you process your freedoms in Christ. And that's always an issue. So sometimes young guys come out of seminary, and they want to. Uh, they come into a church that's been established for many years. And this is a new guy. He's got his new agenda. He wants to change certain things. And so he attacks certain things right off the bat. We're going to change this. We're going to change this. We're going to change this. And they never sit down and just evaluate the, what the church has been through the years and how people are processed where they are today. And they just want to turn that ship in another direction, and often usually too quickly, and they get into trouble. And so, obviously, these are issues that we need to talk about. If I can take you back, uh, when we were in Sri Lanka, this dancing that we saw was an expression. It was storytelling uh, as an expression. And usually, mostly kids, uh, rarely did I see any adults doing this, mostly kids uh, up to a certain age uh, would have various uh, things that they would do. They would dance, and they were expressing a story, telling a story about something. And James and I sat there listening and we uh, we we struggled with this the, uh, uh, three years ago, and we uh, uh, we pulled uh, Mishad, our friend, aside and said after the service, Mishad, you know, we just want to ask some questions, like uh, uh, the kids that were dancing, and uh, especially, obviously, the girls who were dancing, because as Westerners, we're there like listening to this and watching this, and honestly, we had a talk afterwards between us and said that was really hard for us to to watch because we're so ultra conservative uh we don't quite understand and of course the, the the music sounded exactly like anything you'd turn on in any station in Sri Lanka you know it has the doing doing it doing, has a certain sound with it all sounds the same <laughs> and we don't know the words so for us it just seemed like does that really belong in worship and being a person from Sri Lanka he just said to us I don't understand what you're asking We don't have that. We're not we're not thinking sexual thoughts while we're dancing and singing and and giving storytelling about Jesus. And uh, so, you know, James and I had to get over it, not them. And uh, we did cautiously warn, you know, look, just, you know, always be careful with this because it could go a different direction very easily if you're not careful. It really has much to do with the motive behind the person who's doing this and uh, obviously what they're saying and doing and what's the purpose of it and so on. That's extremely important. And so as Westerners, we're just giving that advice. But on the other hand, maybe we need to be more open about this. I can tell you this, that if, uh, well, I want you to see a text. I want to just remind you that there is what I think is spiritual dancing and and fleshly sensual dancing. And I want you just to uh, take a look here in 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 15 verse 29 you have David coming into Jerusalem with the ark of, of God. And uh, obviously this is a big deal to David. He's thrilled that this is happening, that finally the ark of God is being brought into to Israel. Uh, it had been out, uh, stored away and so on. Now they're bringing the, this thing into the temple. Uh, in verse uh, chapter 15 verse 29 you have this picture that's happening as they're bringing, I'll start in verse 28, thus all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn, with trumpets and with cymbals, making music with stringed instruments and harps. You have all this musical stuff going on in this parade uh, bringing this uh, uh, wonderful blessing of the Ark of God to uh, to Jerusalem. And it happened as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David that uh, Michelle uh, Saul's daughter looked through a window and saw King David whirling and playing music and she despised him in her heart. I don't know what uh, kind of dancing he was doing. I'm assuming he was break dancing because it's, uh, it, it's kind of, he, he gets carried away. If you want to know how carried away he was you've got to read the other account. There's another account. You've got to go back to Samuel uh, in 2 Samuel and see exactly how David was dancing because this gives us more of a picture The Word of God doesn't keep anything from us. So let's read this in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Same account. They're coming into Jerusalem. David's uh, doing a jig here. And I want you to see uh, what he's doing. Uh, Verse 13, And so it was, when those, uh, those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. Uh, so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet uh, it says he danced with all his might uh, again I'm trying to you know, I, he was not doing a, uh, a ballet that's dainty and doing little twirls that way You know, he, he wasn't doing that on his little tippy toes he, he, uh, he wasn't waltzing in to, the, to, a, to a three four count da, 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 da. Boop, boop, boop. he wasn't doing that it says he was dancing with all his might. He uses words like whirling or twirling. I'm, I'm getting this picture of, of a crazy man just going nuts uh, as he's leading this thing into the Jerusalem. And his wife was so humiliated by what he was doing because he was wearing an ephod. He's, uh, he's probably uh, you know sweaty and he's probably not fully clothed and he's just going crazy and doing this. And I, I thought to myself if if I were to suddenly break out and dancing on the platform with some whirling and twirling with all my might, what would that look like? If you were dancing by yourself in your home with all your might, what does that mean? It means it's out of control. No, you wouldn't want anyone to see you doing that. That would be a very private you know, moment because it, it would be pretty bad. But you would probably just be with eyes wide open gawking at what you see up here. And you'd be like, i got to get out of this place. Probably most of you would just be like embarrassed and ashamed because I don't know how to dance. And it would be pretty ugly. I don't know. But there is dancing before the Lord that is what I would call acceptable dancing, for example. And this isn't a case of that, though I don't know what it was or how to emulate it myself. And uh, this is not the same thing today. Uh, The Lord is already here. I don't need to uh, usher His presence into the room with this crazy thing, although some churches do that. Some churches think that they need to usher in the presence of God, the Spirit of God, and they get all worked up and they, they want you to join them in this feverish pitch which they think somehow brings the Spirit of God in the place with them. God's Spirit is already here, Amen. dwelling in us as temples of the living God. So we don't need to conjure up some emotional feeling to have the Spirit of God be here. Thank goodness. I want to stress that... Uh, we don't have written rules here at Alpine. We just don't do that. But I will stress this. We have Christ here. And somehow I believe that means, as we've said all along, that's why Paul, again, going back to 12.1, Romans twelve one, what's the first thing we do? We die to self. As we die to self, we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is always going to be that initial a relationship with him through which then we decide what is right or wrong, good or bad for us to be doing as those who are dead to self but alive to Christ. So when he says, receive one who is weak in the faith but not to disputes over doubtful things, we need to be very careful that we understand what he's saying. And what happens is we can so... uh, we can so uh, dangerously drift off course in how we flesh out our faith. We get sidelined by so many other ministries and and places. Today with the Internet, we we can go and watch and listen to other music from other churches, large churches. We can be involved in hearing others who are preaching or teaching and others who are demonstrating how to do Christianity. And there's so much out there, so many books, so many uh, things to uh, see and read and hear that we're bombarded by that, and we can get sort of drifting off into, well, I think we should do this, or I think it would be better if we had this, and, and we uh, get that from all the bombardment of things around us. You know, uh, when you think about a large ship that has to navigate through water, and that ship's trust has to be in what they call a gyro compass, which keeps that ship on course. It's a non-magnetic navigational instrument. It, it's a continuously driven gyroscope that enables ships to measure somehow true north as that is perpendicular to, uh, to the earth. And, and it's an important um, thing. But these, these gyrocompasses can actually become miscalibrated. And, and so uh, what happens is the readings can give the impression that everything's okay when, in fact, things are far off course. So much so that last year, a container ship that was off the coast of New Zealand called Rena had a huge wreck. It spilled uh, cargo and fuel oil all over the North uh, Island. Uh, all the pristine beaches were covered in this yucky stuff. The ship was late and port authorities had sent a message to the captain of that ship to make best speed to avoid changes in the tides. So uh, this captain took what he thought was a shortcut based on his readings, but he didn't know that he was already off course due to a faulty gyro compass error. So the ship crashed onto the reef. It was New Zealand's, by the way, worst maritime disaster. And in the same way, it's so easy for us to shift ourselves off course of what we would do to always please Jesus Christ in our life. And we can just lose the sense of where we're at sometimes. It doesn't take a lot to lead us into troubled waters. And so obviously, Paul wants us to know that there are principles that we will look at in this text that will help us stay on course in this thing of likes and dislikes, differences, and, and all of that that we deal with on those levels. But before that, we have to look at two scenarios that he gives us here in verses 2 through five, or two through 4. First, he gives us the first scenario. One's faith allows the eating of anything. That's the first scenario. He uh, reminds us this is the stronger one in faith. And the stronger one who's in faith, who can eat anything, who doesn't feel restricted by anything, must not look down on the weaker saint, which in this case would be the more narrow-minded saint. Don't get mad at me. This is what the Word says, not me. And within a New Testament society, obviously the concern here was eating meat that had been offered to pagan gods. It was an issue then sold in the marketplace and many believers were fearful of violating their conscience of compromising their faithfulness before God. Almost in every case if somebody is saved uh, to the Lord Jesus coming from a very radical sinful lifestyle that person generally comes into the faith of Christianity with a view that anything that was like the world is absolutely wrong. You get somebody else who was raised in a Christian home and got saved when you were very young, and you've been in a shelter all your life, and you uh, kind of approach life, and you come along with a mind that says, uh, I have been... uh, held back by my parents, by conservatism perhaps, and uh, my approach is, again, that, boy, I mean, all that stuff is there that uh, someone else has the freedom to do, and we're either going to judge them that they're wrong as well, because we're coming out of that background, or we're going to come out of that background and say, I've been held down so long, I can't wait to be free, and then we go overboard. You have these problems when you have people coming into church and they're seeing that one person has great freedom and, uh, uh, you know, they're either worldly and sinful and they're leading me down the wrong path or they're going to be enticing others to go that direction. And maybe it's good. Maybe it's not. This can be confusing. You just have to remind yourself that wherever you're coming from, you've got to remind yourself, why am I trying to be different than I used to be? And then if you're coming out of a worldly, sinful area and you've been saved, you've you got to come in and ask yourself, do I have a realistic view of what church is supposed to be and what Christians are supposed to be? These are some issues. While we were in Sri Lanka, one of the things we saw, we passed a Hindu temple celebration. We walked right past it. I, I was uh, trying to shoot video that day. It was raining and didn't come out very well. But uh, we walked by an open area in the fence where we could look in. And there were uh, people who were kneeling uh, in rows in this big courtyard with uh, all the Hindu gods surrounding them. And uh, evidently it was a ceremony of food that had just been offered to the idols, to the gods. And they were in straight rows, I think about three rows, kneeling down. Somebody was coming along between the rows and was putting food on a little uh, placemat type thing, laying food down for these people. And it was all consecrated food. And they were partaking in this ceremony. And I I, I was filming this, and I told myself that, knowing what I'm seeing, I would have a hard time myself personally struggling with eating that meat after it had been offered to idols. I, I would have a hard time with that. Now, some other Christian would come along and say it's just, just it's just beef or it's just chicken. It, it doesn't mean anything, and, and that's kind of what Paul's saying here. Some some didn't see the problem because they were looking beyond the the narrow-mindedness of of Somebody offering this to, uh, to the gods, well, so what? I'm not. I'm not doing that. It's just chicken. I'm just going to have it. But as I watched that ceremony, it just, in my heart, said I would have a hard time with that. Well, this mindset about certain things that we say are good or bad has developed itself into varieties of issues in our day. It's not just about eating. The text is about eating. The issue is much larger than that. Basically, the world is offering up to you and I offerings for our pleasure. There are all kinds of things, things that will be acceptable to some and detestable to others. And these become fuel for a person's freedom to enjoy or another person's restrictive contempt to reject. And we have to understand that. So let me, uh, don't, don't react, just listen. So drinking wine with a meal or drinking a beer or a lighter mixed drink, and especially in the company of others... That might be an issue we're going to talk about. Or attending certain forms of entertainment. Certain levels of what is acceptable to one person, uh, not to another, based on preference, based on ratings, based on a person's experience. And it almost always comes down to motive. And that's what I'm hopefully going to be attacking. That's what Paul's going to attack here in this text. He's going to be always approaching this subject according to motives. Why Are you choosing to do what you do? What is the reason behind it? That's the bigger issue than it is whether this pleases God or not. What's the motive? Because we might deceive ourselves and think God's pleased, and maybe he's not. What are your reasons for what you do and why you do it? What's going on? One's faith always allows the eating of anything. The other person, number two scenario, another's faith only eats vegetables. You have this other person in the text, verse 2, uh, he who is weak eats only vegetables. And again, you have this reminder here that the weaker one must not condemn the stronger saint or liberal-minded saint. There has to be this carefulness, This uh, i got to hold myself back from criticizing. How many of you have gone home after a church service, and you've gone around the dinner table. This would be common in my home. You sit around the dinner table, and you... uh, Inevitably, the conversation comes up about that person, somebody that was in the church that either dressed funny or... To us, or uh, you know acted strange or you know, there' was always something, or you know you always have something you want to pick apart, and so you 're dissecting that person at the table and you 're going through the whole gyration of whether they 're even Christians or not or or uh, are they going to keep coming, or uh, are we all going to become like them as they infiltrate our camp and, you know, and convert us all to look like they do and act like they do? We all have those goofy discussions, and i 've learned over the years that My family was much more weak in the faith and strong based on our opinions of everybody else. I wonder how many of us here have had opinions about somebody in this church in the last year that are not pleasing to Christ in just our opinions, how we evaluate someone else. Now, there's an exception to this weaker person here in what they eat that he's talking about this weaker person is not going to eat that defiled meat they, they think it's uh, totally wrong for them it's worldly it's 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 it's, it's improper to do that we'll, we're only going to eat vegetables and the only time that, that that's ever been spiritual really is as you know with Daniel and his friends when they were taken captive in Babylon and we know that story and obviously. Uh, his, he and his three friends, uh, they chose to eat vegetables only, but it was in order to not violate their, their, their conscience in a pagan world. And that sounds like this text, except that they understood the intent of the offering. The offering from the world was intent upon them forgetting their heritage and their religious beliefs. It was an attack, intentionally attack against their faith. Uh, if we can get these young men to to partake of, of food that's been offered to, the, to our gods, and they partake of that, which we know would contradict their own faith, uh, if we do that, then we'll actually eventually draw them out of what they believe, and they'll become like us. And if that's the motive of the world around us, then we've got to be very careful that we don't give in and don't yield ourselves to what we think are freedoms if those freedoms are intent on destroying our faith. I had an argument. John was there, so it wasn't an argument. It was a discussion (laughs) two years ago in Africa on our last day. We were all in a room taking showers, getting ready to leave to get on the plane, and it was fun. And... uh, while we're in there, uh, one pastor, uh, staff guy, was, I don't know, just talking about his freedom to drink. And I'm listening, and eventually I just couldn't keep my mouth shut anymore. And I had to say, I don't believe in that at all. I think that's absolutely wrong. Now, this is my opinion, so don't get mad at me. And it's based on what I think the Bible says to me, okay? Okay. But I can talk to a fellow pastor differently than I can talk to everybody else. Because out of Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, I wanted him to know that there's a mistranslated word that gives some people this license they think they can drink as pastors. And so we were discussing that word. And uh, I uh, didn't pull out both guns. I wish I had, but I didn't have time. Which was to go out to what uh, King Lemuel says in Proverbs... Uh, where he talks about the fact that uh, those in leadership are not even to look at drink. Not to gaze at it, because doing that is uh, reflecting the fact that we're craving something that really we shouldn't have. So I don't drink because uh, I am personally convicted that it's wrong for me to set an example to you of what it is to have my freedom in Christ. I am not going to do that to you. Can you imagine uh, one of you uh, inviting a friend, hey, let's go have a beer together after the game, and you go to a pizza place, you get a beer, and you don't realize that that kid just came out of a home where it was a dysfunctional home, abusive home, based on alcohol. And why would we even think in our freedom, this is okay to do this? And in our... Spiritual freedoms, we're devastatingly hurting somebody who has to decide whether they give in or not and be like us or not. And in general, that usually happens that there's a surrender to whatever the more mature Christians are doing. And, and as we get into this text, we're going to find out that Paul's much more tough on those who are the mature Christians than he is on the immature. He's going to call us as mature Christians to recognize how we lead and influence. And there's going to be this decision in the line that says, I will determine to, yes, I have freedoms to do things. I I don't have a problem in my conscience about doing certain things, but I have to be very careful how I lead others who aren't where I'm at. And so uh, as he uh, leads us down this road... This uh, problem that can happen is that someone can use this whole thing as a defense against other people. Uh, Somebody who has a liberal-minded freedom to do something, and, and I have over the years had to sometimes counsel with people, some who worked with me in ministry, I've had to sit down with them and say, you know what, your freedom to do this is not a healthy thing in this particular situation. And I've had some people say to me, just throw me off and just say, it's none of your business telling me what I can or cannot do. I've had that happen. And in leadership, I can say, well, it is my business if you're going to work with me. On the other hand, I can't tell you how to live your life. I'm not going to try We're all going to have to shape our lives based on truths from God's word, be honest with God's word and how we apply it to our life. And that's going to be that which we then will use as that compass to keep us on course and then not uh, throw off everyone else by how we choose to do certain things. So in my home, obviously, uh, you know, I've I'm not going to bring home chocolate pastries when my wife is trying to diet. Is she in here? Uh, hi, honey. I'm not going to do that to my dear wife. And, and, and even if I were to say, uh, you know, I don't want certain things, uh, or I don't need certain things, or she knows I don't need certain things, the worst thing you can do is dangling in front of each other. We were coming home the other night uh, from uh, being out, and uh, on our trip back home from uh, down south, and, uh, man, you know, we, we ate dinner and then the other night, and then we were coming home, and I'm like, uh, the word Dairy Queen came up. It, it, it always does. And was like, Are you going to the Dairy Queen? I went, No, but there's three more on the way, <laughs> which means I can tease myself three more times. Then I ended up not stopping. I was so proud of myself that I didn't stop, you know, because I, I don't need that right now. So I uh, got home and that ended that. But obviously, we have to be so careful how we just lead each other into what we do and what we don't do. This church has long standing now, 20 years in existence, we now have some long standing standards that we didn't have, you know, 15 years ago. We now have some uh, sort of sense of who we are. We have principles that we follow. We have beliefs that we follow. But I want to ask this question this morning. How is this church overall affected by our freedoms or by our restrictions? How will we maintain unity in the body of, of Jesus Christ with such differences that I think we have in some cases? And this is why we want to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. That's why I started with that, to live our lives through Jesus Christ, because that's the crucial issue. And my uh, expressions of what I think are right or wrong, good or bad, have to always be filtered through those precepts about who I am supposed to be in Christ, especially that I've died to him, I'm living unto him, I'm dead in Christ, but I'm alive in him. I live in Christ. And so all my choices should be, all my decisions, all my lifestyle issues should flow through my private time with him about what he would be pleased with in how I live. Is that hard to understand? And I don't think that any of us consult the Lord for every little decision we make. I'm not saying that. But obviously in our private time, May we have a sense of where God is leading us, how he's directing our lives, and that we would want to always honor him and how we choose what is right or wrong, good or bad. And understand again that as we do that, we are reflecting to everyone around us, what is our preference? My preference is him. I'm really convicted because uh, today because, I don't know, the other day I was home sitting at my desk I have, a, I have a monitor there, but it's also a TV. And I was writing something, and I had my TV going, and I don't know, it was some blood and guts shoot-em-up thing that was on, and Marilyn came in the room and said, Ugh, and she walked out, <laughs> to which I turned it off. I realized, why am I looking at this? Why am I feeding my mind with that? that that's not helping me help any, anybody, so I have to work on that. I don't need that kind of stuff. I don't know what it is in your life, but you do. You know what things you have freedoms to do and freedom not to do. And I'm asking us to begin a process of just uh, making sure we know. I want to take you back and read one text that we're going to close this morning. And it's just this whole thing of unity. And I want you to go back to uh, Ephesians chapter 5, if you would. Actually, go back to 4. Go back to 4. Let me read that first. Are you with me? I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. How? With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring. It means I must work my part of this. I must do my part to maintain a spirit of peace and unity in this place. That's that's all our job. It's not just the pastor's job or the or the leaders here to sort of put the fires out. Our job is personally that I want there to be peace in this place and a unity in the spirit. That's your responsibility, along with mine. There is one body one spirit. Let me let me stop. Let me stop. We've had some we've had some discussions in the last few weeks about the body of Christ. Let me just remind us when it says there's one body, there's two ways to understand this. There's the universal body of Christ. Multiple types of churches that all in their own way are serving Christ. Even some we would not even agree with how we do it, but we're all together in the body of Christ. There's that. But almost in every case, Paul's rarely ever talking about that. He's always talking about your body, where you are. He's talking to the Ephesians. He's not talking about the national or worldwide church uh, universally. He's talking to the body of Christ here. And he wants us to know there is one body. We are unified, one body, and one spirit. There's only one spirit here, right? The Holy Spirit of God here. He says... Uh, Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord. Just one Lord. There's only one faith. There's one baptism. There's one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Then he goes into, but to each one of us, grace is given. And he starts talking about we have unique differences. But the point is that the things that are unified under him, that the one things that we follow, those are our priorities. When we get into uh, other things uh, from various gifts to our likes and our dislikes and all of that that we come to, we, we have to realize that we're here to maintain a spirit of unity in this place, a spirit of peace in this place, because that is what is going to honor him and his word a lot more than me expressing my personal opinions about what i think is good for me and what i think is good for you and so we got to be very careful about that if we're going to maintain who we are we have not had big battles in this church over ego but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen tomorrow and as new people come to our church we all come here with something unique and different and preferences and so on and uh I don't want to offend anybody. I want to speak truth and only truth. And so that's what we'll try to do. Stay in the text. But obviously, as we get into this next week, we start looking at principles, things that Paul's saying that we must understand and apply that will help us stay on track uh, as our oneness in Christ. If you don't know Jesus today, uh, my prayer is that you would look at this body, that you would look at this body and evaluate fairly what you're seeing. That puts us as a body on call to be what Christ has called us to be. So the person who's looking and evaluating is seeing the genuine thing. Because that's, that, that's the attraction. A church that's doing what Christ has called us to do becomes an attraction because we're representing Him. Anything less than that is wrong. Let's stay on track. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, thank You for Your blessings. I pray that uh, today You would just remind us of our role of following You being faithful to you, I ask, Lord, that you would uh, allow someone who's looking at us to not be stirred or impressed so much by us as they are impressed by you, having your will and your way in this place and in our lives. I, I pray that you would cause a person to be hungry and thirsty for what they see here. Again, it's you that they see and sense. Actively, alive, working in this place, blessing this place because you are here. And we honor that. We honor you today. Help us all to see ourselves before you. And that our ultimate goal is to bring pleasure to you by what we do, what we say, how we choose to live our life. May it be pleasing to you. May you be pleased with us. And if not, Lord, remind us in your gracious way, confront us by your presence, draw us back to you. Get us on course if we find ourselves off course because we want Jesus Christ to be magnified in our lives and in this place. And it's in your name we pray these things.